This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Kristen Jiltz. She's the EY Global Innovation Quantum Leader. She's a partner and responsible for financial crimes and fraud analytics at EY. She's also the firm's Global Innovation Quantum Leader and oversees EY's Global Quantum Computing Lab. Her focus is biofacial recognition, and she has expertise in using cutting-edge analytics to exploit illicit networks like money laundering, terrorist financing, fraud cells, drug and human trafficking. Before joining EY, Kristen held senior leadership roles at Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan. She has a Ph.D. in decision sciences and a graduate diploma in artificial intelligence from the University of Oxford. She also has an MBA from the University of Colorado and a BBA in computer science from Texas A&M University. Her company, Ernst & Young Global Limited, their trade name is EY, is a British multinational professional services partnership headquartered in London, but with offices all over the world. EY is one of the world's largest professional services networks, and along with Deloitte, KPMG, and PwC, is considered one of the big four accounting firms. So welcome, Kristen, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Chris. I'm really excited to be here today. Thanks for having me. No, I'm glad you could speak with me. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective really is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you joined EY, but also to orient our listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So please share with our listeners a bit about your background and your path so far, where you grew up, details about what you studied in school, um, insight into companies or organizations where you worked before joining EY. Yeah, absolutely. I've had quite the uh, diverse path to, to where I am today. But I, so I claim Texas is home because I spent the most consecutive years um, there, uh, grew up in, in several different states, really. I went to A&M for undergrad and University of Colorado and Oxford. But my my underlying common string for academics was everything was focused in either AI or math or data and um, you know, even being the chief data scientist of a global division of um, you know, one of the financial institutions that you mentioned. So mm-hmm. um, I even have a master's degree in theology. So that's, that's, that's fun. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Uh, so I saw on LinkedIn that you've been at EY for seven years um, and wondering you know, how and when EY set up a global innovation quantum practice. Like When was that established? And then how did you end up in this role? Yeah, it's really it's um, a really fun journey. So about five years ago, um, we there was a few of us that rallied around the globe of EY. We have over four hundred thousand employees mm-hmm. at the firm, and we were just searching for quantum talent of, of all kinds. And I think we'll get into a little bit of that later. And so we started uh, unofficially, you know, as as a group of of colleagues who are like minded and in, in the wanting to grow the area of quantum information science within EY. And then about two years ago, we got a lot of attention from uh, our CEO, 
and mm-hmm. also our chief transformation zone and our chief innovation officer. And they really got the funding of the board together two years ago and, and have been supporting our, our quantum lab ever since. Wow, it's great to have support from the top of the business. For Absolutely, sure. from the very top, which is really, yeah. really exciting. They, they see quantum as being that next wave, and so they are, they're really committed to investing in it now. No, that's great. So the segue is what kind of services, as a result, does EY now offer to clients who are investigating, say, quantum-based solutions? So we we are helping governments and institutions around the world build their quantum strategy. We are helping our clients figure out the workforce upskilling and training. And then we're also doing something kind of like a center of excellence where we are uh, running um, use cases against quantum computers mm-hmm. and um, and c- really carrying the weight for our clients so that they don't have to go and build their own quantum ecosystem. Um, so we're we basically have created a, a quantum center of excellence that we can help um, serve our clients in and through. And then we um, are doing we're uh, a lot of quantum sensing work as well with clients, so helping them take advantage of the advances in that space as well. Yeah. So in speaking with other executives at large companies, um, I'm struck by the fact that, for example, you, you mentioned you have 400,000 sort of colleagues around the world. What if you could share a perspective on how you interact with other parts of the EY business, as well as maybe, as you were implying, you know, strategic partners, like how do you, what kind of relationships do you have with uh, other companies in the space when you're developing quantum solutions for clients? Quantum, I believe, is always going to need this ecosystem around it. So we have partnered with big tech, small tech, academia, governments, to formulate really the best in class access to both quantum computing and quantum sensing yeah, and leveraging and leaning into that ecosystem, I think is, is where the power is, which is really, really interesting. And, and it helps accelerate um, the, the programs that we've been able to uh, underpin. So DNA sequencing, for example, is something that we studied. We had to lean on our academic partner, Democritos University out of Greece, for their subject matter expertise and together with our quantum expertise really you know, solved a hard genetics problem. Yeah. Are there other strategic partners? I mean, it's a whole landscape now, big companies, small companies, right? IBM and Google and Amazon, and then startups exploring qubit modalities and software solutions. Any specific partnerships that come to mind? That well, our, our big quantum alliance is with IBM. So we uh, are part of their IBM's quantum network, which is really exciting and, and drives a lot of uh, collaboration. And that's one that I can share. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So our audience is always interested in the perennial question, which is clients, right? Yes. Um, can you share some insight into current interaction with clients? I don't want you to violate any, you know, proprietary uh, relationships or put you at risk, but oh, absolutely. wondering you know, who they are, what kinds of quantum solutions you're developing with them, and and then sort of more broadly, are there certain verticals where maybe EY is getting traction more than others? Yeah, so great question, Chris. The, the key sectors where we are seeing the substantial lean-in would be uh, areas where logistics and optimization problems shine. Yeah. So we're seeing that in health and medical, 
um, physics simulations. We are seeing that in your your large infrastructure type companies. The financial sector is interesting. They have explored quantum. Um, Almost all of the biggest banks have explored quantum, some shape, form, or fashion. A lot of them are very interested in the cyber implications, which is very appropriate for them to be. But I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced yet that they're going to be one of the mainstream first adopters. I think it's probably going to be the health and sciences or uh, some of the bigger logistics. But yeah, so that's the general trending. So the uh, again, another question sort of related to that is around post-quantum cryptography. So it seems I'd love to get your take on companies' reactions to the threat of harvest now decrypt later. It seems as if that threat has moved the overall discussion of quantum from what I would describe as, say, a wait and see, it's still an R&D perspective, to having it now be more of a, a critical aspect of risk management decisions, right? And I wonder if, if you, are you seeing that in conversations with clients? Well, I certainly want it to be part of a risk management conversation. I want every chief risk officer out there to be paying attention to uh, the cryptography side of, of the quantum advances that are coming. Yeah, I don't think I see the immediacy, but I don't think that the market has done a good job of being clear on what institutions should be doing. So at yeah. EY, one of the things that we have done in the last year is get very, very clear on what we believe our clients should be doing in this space. And it is not a full inventory of all of your cryptographic keys. It's actually just going after you know, the highest valued assets and really looking at both data at rest and data in flight. So, Yeah, no, that's a great perspective for sure, right? So what's really mission critical? What would... Absolutely. Right, what would threaten the business model at the highest level? Yeah, as opposed to sort of a maybe a broader inventory that would be more time-consuming and deliver less value? And, and these keys are turning over every seven years or whatever time frame they're they're preset. So you don't always need all of it to be quantum resistant, right? Yeah. So really picking and choosing is is something that's really important to EY. Yeah, that's great. No, that's a, thank you for sharing that. I want to ask if there's a roadmap for growing your organization, you know, based on addressable opportunity or market response. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your plans for enhancing and growing the EY quantum portfolio into new areas? So EY has built a quantum team of over 700 quantum practitioners Mm, and 500 of those have been just in the last two years. I'm really, really proud of that. The, the way that we have accelerated that is internally. And then we're also able to offer this to our clients is that we have upskilled and brought along the journey, our teammates, um, by customizing both Q Control's Black Opal program and then also IBM's training Kiskit program. So we've customized both of those and, and can really accelerate the upskilling of, of ourselves and, and also our clients. So that's really an area of how we see scale being being ready. The yeah. the you know two things here I think Chris that are that are important to just share is that classical computers are going to um, still be here coexisting with quantum computers. So quantum computers aren't going to rip and replace um, and 
and you know make classical computers obsolete. So uh, we're really going to have to have people who are knowledgeable around scientific journalists, computer scientists, data scientists, architecture, um, data mining, logistics and supply chain experts. I mean, the the, the world yeah. is your your oyster there. Yeah, no, that's great perspective. Yeah, I mean, these are businesses at the end of the day and are going to need skills in adjacent and ancillary kinds of uh, disciplines that every business needs. Right. right? And then I think, too, um, circling back to your question around scale, I, I believe that being hyper-focused in an R&D lab is really important for scale. It's, it's a unique position um, to talk about scale because R&D in, inherently is not meant to scale uh, an institution versus it's it's an enabler and that's how we look at it so one of the things that we're focused on is solving hard problems for our clients but business problems so our quantum lab is really looking into optimization logistics this hyper graph um, special uh, we call them cubos but in, in the quantum world, but um, looking at fraud detection or anomaly detection along the way. And then we even have a moonshot, which I think is important for, for scaling and R&D. So our moonshot is using quantum sensing for geological early warnings, kind of like earthquakes. So we're really excited huh. about that. That's very cool. Wow. I want to shift gears and talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is workforce and talent. So Want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like EY and finding quantum consulting talent in this case? Although you said you know it's it's a broader set of skills for sure, but wondering how you go about rec recruiting for your company? Do you have affiliations with universities or other sources of talent? Yeah. So how we are recruiting at EY is is more organically reaching because we are four hundred thousand plus um, global organization. You would, you would have to think, just statistically speaking, that we've got quantum talent um, around the globe. And we do. And so we've been finding that talent in, in various diverse backgrounds. We are in an environment where hiring is not um, you know, absolutely in abundance. So really repurposing or upskilling or just finding that quantum talent around the globe has been really, really important to our team. I do see where in the next two, three, four years, we're going to have to re recruit more top talent, uh, particularly around the, the supply chain, quantum, cubo kind of experts, and then also around the cryptography. We have some phenomenal cryptographers, though, so I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah. We just need more of them with time. So whenever I get the opportunity to speak with a, a woman in tech like yourself, um, I always want to ask them if they have advice or guidance for other women interested in getting involved, certainly in quantum uh, or even in the consulting space, if you will. What's, what's your take on it? Yeah, absolutely. So I have the, the honor and privilege at EY of, of running our financial services, women in technology uh, group. And one of the things that I always share with them is to lean in and accelerate. So I really believe they have all of the opportunities in front of them to, to learn, to ask questions, to stay curious. And, um, you know, they, they have more empowerment to, to drive their own career than, than sometimes they think. So 
asking good questions, showing up. Um, I, I think these are all, all good things. And the other thing that's really, really exciting is that quantum seems to me to be one of the most inclusive and welcoming uh, industries that I have been a part of in technology. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, you and I connected live outside of a conference and, and I've connected with so many people through LinkedIn and I answer their questions. I, I had a gentleman uh, the other day asked me if such and such a degree was really worth it and, and how am I applying it to, to business practices? And I answered. Uh, and, and so I think that that's the other advantage that we have in, in this quantum environment is that we are so welcoming that all you have to do is get started somewhere. The YouTube videos, um, you know, Q Control has a free training platform, a free entry to the, the Black Opal product. Um, there's, there's just so many paths to just get involved. And I think it's important. And I know I said this earlier, but it's really important to know we need all types of backgrounds to, to support this quantum ecosystem. So we're not just looking for the physicists and the mathematicians, but we need the data scientists and architecture experts and all sorts. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's great that you have an organization in the in the company that's supporting women in tech. It's terrific. So, Kristen, I would like to end the podcast um, by asking my guests to share their vision of where they think quantum computing might be in, say, five to seven or ten years. You know, look into your crystal ball, wax philosophic. Um, you know, what kind of impact do you think it will have more broadly on how we live and work? I absolutely love this question. So, rapid fire. Um, three years from now, I think we're going to see quantum utility at all of the top 2000 companies. I think that, uh, we'll be using EY to support, um, production ready utility, quantum utility models. I'm really excited about that. And then in five years time, I think that we'll see probably the first quantum computer that's able to break encryption. And in 10 years' time, I'm, I'm guessing that's when we're going to hit advantage, that quantum advantage that everybody talks about. So I'm a little bit more aggressive with my, <laughs> my time frames than, than some. But the progress that we have made, both at EY, out of our quantum lab, but then also several of my colleagues in quantum around the globe, outside of, of EY, the, the utility that we're seeing in the last six months is... Uh, something I would not have imagined any, any of us achieving in the last year. So we're, we're accelerating faster than. Expected. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, I want to point people to the EY website. Uh, a search there pulls up r- many really interesting articles related to quantum. So ey.com and then search for quantum when you get to that page. Uh, And thank you very much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too. Thank you so much, Chris. And and hopefully this inspires more people to come join our community. Yes, for sure. Thanks, Kristen, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Kristen. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. 
For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.